Let's get going with a whole new week of talking about the South. Hello, I'm John Rawl on this Monday edition of Y'all, powered by Y'all.com. Oh, I hope you had a great weekend. Boy, it's heating up across the Southland, but looking very, very nice. And here on today's Y'all Show, we've got a good forecast of what's to come on the show today as well as the rest of the week we want you to be a part of y'all if you will our number is 803-816-1170 you can call or text that 247 803-816-1170 drop us a line if you'd like to go the email route that is mail m-a-i-l mail at y'all y-a-l-l mail at y'all dot com and also, you can find us on all kind of podcast options. We're available at y'all.com with the podcast edition of the show. Also, you can check us out in iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, as well as Apple Podcasts. It's free of charge to catch up with what's going on with the show that's all about the South. And, of course, we're broadcasting on great radio stations across the Southeast. I appreciate y'all taking some time to join us here as we get this week Started coming up on today's Y'all Show. We'll look back at the big win by Phil Mickelson from Kiowa Island in South Carolina on Sunday. The oldest major now is Phil Mickelson, the oldest major winner. And he looks so good out there, 50 years old, nearly 51. He'll be 51 in June. And lefty comes through. We've got a lot of analysis on that big win from the South Carolina Low Country that we'll have with you in our sports update later this hour. Also, speaking of South Carolina, have y'all heard about this? Uh, I guess he would be called a serial killer, and he's on the loose, and they've been looking for him for several days around Lancaster, South Carolina, in the area near Charlotte, North Carolina. Scary, scary deal. I mean, a true serial killer on the loose, and they still haven't caught him yet as of right this second. But they say they're getting close. We'll fill you in on what's going on there in South Carolina. West Virginia? It's seen its largest population drop in maybe history. I'll tell you some information about people leaving the mountain state. Wake Forest University in the news, a effort by students there to change the name of a building. I'll tell you why. Also, out of Oklahoma, 68 big cats seized from the Tiger King Park, made famous by the Netflix series. We'll give you some information on that. And then also in our headlines today, how about actor Gerard Butler visiting police while filming something in Georgia? Pretty neat thing there by the, I think he is from either Scotland or Ireland, one of those two places, somewhere over there. <laughs> but a nice statement that he would go by and see police while filming in the Peach State. Remember, a lot of productions have left the Peach State because of the voting suppression or alleged voting suppression that the Georgia state legislature passed and the governor signed earlier in 2021 all that's part of our headlines here on today's y'all show as we said in the world of sports we'll get to lefty's big win at kiowa the pga championship held over the past weekend also nba some big upsets in the first round of the playoffs there including the memphis grizzlies getting a big win and the atlanta hawks picking up a big win in the nba playoffs so we'll fill you in on all that's going on there college baseball the postseason is now upon us, and there's already been one firing of an SEC baseball coach, and that doesn't happen all that often in college baseball where coaches are let go. But, yes, we have already had a firing in SEC baseball. We'll tell you about that. We'll tell you the bracket for Hoover this week, the SEC baseball tournament. It starts Tuesday, so not long from now, baseball postseason gets underway 
at that very boring stadium outside of of Birmingham there in Hoover. I say boring because at least the Tuesday and Wednesday rounds when it's like 100 degrees out there and you know you're going to be there all the way until Sunday for that SEC baseball tournament, those opening rounds are a little bit stale. But it'll it'll pick up over the weekend, especially if one of the two home teams there, Auburn or Alabama, are still hanging around. And trust me, there's a good chance both of those teams will be hanging around if you take a look at the bracket. We'll fill you in on a, on what's going on in the ACC action as well as we do have some stories coming out of the ACC, including how they're going to distribute nearly a half a billion dollars to the member institutions of the Atlantic Coast Conference. All that is part of our sports stuff, as well as an update. We better tell you, Chase Elliott gets a big win in NASCAR at Texas, and we'll tell you about that when our sports arrives later this hour. And before the hour is up here, all this comes your way, a mixture of news and sports, and how about a little history? Yes, today marks the anniversary of when Bonnie and Clyde were killed in North Louisiana. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that dramatic thing. We'll play a little Travis Tritt song about Bonnie and Clyde. And we'll also tell you about Patrick Henry, one of our founding fathers of this country. Some information about the birthday boy here this week, Patrick Henry of Virginia. Also, South Carolina was born this week back in 1788. And I'll tell you about the nation's eighth state and how they became a member of the United States. South Carolina, happy birthday here this week. All this is part of our Southern history of our number one. Hour two today, our Taka Polo storyteller drops back by Jerry Short. Always fun to catch up with him. We'll find out what's going on in Taka Polo. Hour two, we'll also have Kobe Bennett drop by for a Southern accent on food. And in hour three today, more Southern goodness all right here on the show that truly is the south show and we just can't thank y'all enough for letting us have the opportunity to tell you what's going on across the southeast here on this monday all right let's get into what's going on across the southeast and well this looks like it's not going to be too big of a scare but we've already had our first named atlantic storm of 2021 anna anna formed over the last couple of days near bermuda and this first storm posing no threat to land and it's expected to dissipate in just a few days this according to the national hurricane center in miami but yeah this thing drifting northeast over the atlantic ocean bringing rain to the island of bermuda which is roughly gosh what is that a thousand miles off the carolina coast that's just a guess there but anna was located 270 miles northeast of bermuda with maximum sustained winds of 40 miles per hour the hurricane said on sunday evening it was moving northeast at nine miles per hour not fun to be in a boat out there in the atlantic right now if you're going to be encountering this first named storm of 2021 ana anna or anna but yes it's not gonna it looks like pose any threat to this country and likely not to any other country you know it's possible and and, and it probably has happened some in history but it's possible that hurricanes can actually hit the united kingdom if you've ever looked at how they form in the Atlantic, they can go further north than you might expect, and and they can they can actually pummel the British coast and I guess I guess the French coast as well, perhaps even Spain and Portugal. But yeah, it's not something we think of here. We have our sort of southeast blinders on when it comes to tropical storms, but those things, I guess, if you've got any kind of maritime presence, you are certainly the options there for something like a hurricane or a powerful tropical storm to come through and 
cause lots of damage. All right, as we told you in our tease of the headlines today, authorities in South Carolina said they believe they've closed in on the man accused of four killings in two different states, and this man has eluded police for almost a week. And they're looking for 26-year-old Tyler Terry, officers, dogs, helicopters, drones, and more, searching the woods, neighborhoods, and industrial areas around Chester County in South Carolina. I said in Lancaster earlier, that's not far from Chester County, but actually this is in Chester in South Carolina, which to me, if you think about law enforcement in Chester, go back in time. There was a CBS miniseries back in the 1980s called Chiefs, and it was filmed in Chester, South Carolina, and it starred a guy named Charlton Heston in the lead role of Chiefs. How about some throwback TV knowledge for you here on today's Y'all Show? But back to this headline of searching for Tyler Terry. The Chester County Sheriff's Office advised residents to stay inside, lock their doors, secure firearms, and report suspicious activity in their outbuildings, crawl spaces, and trash bins. On Sunday afternoon, the Chester County Sheriff's Office said officers were actively pursuing Tyler Terry in a wooded area near Highway 9 and Richburg Road, he ran off there after being spotted and chased by an officer, according to news outlets. So developing story, he could already be in custody by the time we get this to you. But according to authorities there, the Sheriff's Office of Chester County, South Carolina, they feel that, that he is within their grasp here. Authorities said Terry fired shots at police during a high-speed chase May 17th, and investigators have linked him to a May 2nd killing in South Carolina, two killings outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and also more shootings. A 34-year-old woman driving Terry, Adrian Simpson, was taken into custody after crashing following a 30-mile chase that reached speeds of 100 miles per hour. Simpson's husband was found dead in a ditch. I mean, this is stretching across a couple different states, and I think East Tennessee also had some connection to this man's chase across multiple states. But right now, in Chester County, it looks like they're closing in on Tyler Terry, and I don't think this is going to turn out too good for him when it's all said and done. A story out of Tennessee, Clarksville, Tennessee. A school nurse there is accused of photographing 40 girls in a bathroom. Leon B. Hensley allegedly took illicit photos of girls from the ages of 12 to 17. And now this man who worked as a nurse at Northeast High School in Clarksville, Tennessee, is arrested and under investigation as he now faces child pornography charges after police discovered that he had secretly photographed more than 40 female students. That according to a criminal complaint in Clarksville, Tennessee, police started investigating after receiving a complaint from the State Department of Children's Services that Mr. Hensley had shared inappropriate text messages with a female minor. The messages included a picture of a nude adult female and a request for the minor to pose for a photo shoot, police then seized multiple electronic devices from Hensley's home, including his cell phone and a small covert video camera. And again, he supposedly has taken photos of some 40 young girls at this school in Clarksville, Tennessee. Police arrested Hensley on Thursday at his home in Lake Wells, Florida. He's facing federal charges of attempted production of child pornography. What in the world is he doing living in Florida, if he was doing this in Tennessee, I'm not really sure. But yes, this former nurse at the school there in Tennessee, in Clarksville, now under investigation for child pornography charges and more. Not a good, not a good story to have to tell you about. But unfortunately, this kind of stuff happens a lot across 
our land in today's world. West Virginia is a great state to be in, but unfortunately, a lot of people are taking the road and hitting the road and leaving West Virginia and country roads winding away from West Virginia, according to the latest information, as the population of West Virginia is the largest population drop in the country right now. Yes, West Virginia is shrinking for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it could be the lack of good-paying jobs. It could be, it could be. I don't know, better opportunities outside. But a lot of people leaving West Virginia, and that's a new story out about how, according to census data and more, people are leaving the Mountain State. And we hope that maybe if you're a West Virginian, you might at least live there part-time part-time for sure to keep the numbers up there but yeah west virginia's loss is somebody else's gain and probably is states like north carolina south carolina georgia and more states that are certainly not shrinking in size in today's world a high school in florida is issuing refunds after the yearbook there edited 80 female student photos to be more modest bartram trail high school parents complaining about the unequal policies applied to female versus Male students. And again, somebody taking photos, I guess, into Photoshop and making them a little bit more presentable. But some of these photos I've seen, at least coming from Bartram Trail High School, are a little bit uh, not too not too controversial, in my, in my opinion. If you take a look, they basically would highlight or cover up. If someone's got like an open shirt, if you're a female, they would cover up with a, a black streak, it looks like and the yearbook photo. But still, these things are keepsakes. People like to go back 100 years from now and look at their high school yearbook, and they don't want to see somebody using an editorial lens to edit out what they might have been doing, unless it's extremely vulgar what they were doing. But, yeah, uh, one freshman there said to the local TV station in Jacksonville, there's a black box over my chest, and the cardigan on the side like moved over, and it looks really awkward and I was very confused. And one student said she was appalled when she found her photo was censored, too. The school claimed that it had previously excluded student pictures that it deemed in violation of the student code of conduct, and it relied on digital manipulation to, quote, make sure all students were included in the yearbook. One student, a mother of a student, told the St. Augustine Record newspaper, I think it sends the message that our girls should be ashamed of their growing bodies And I think that's a horrible message to send out to these young girls that are going through these changes. Changes in high school. Uh, Oh, yeah, we all remember those years if you're old enough to escape high school. And, yeah, the ladies certainly undergo changes. The fellas do, too. Yeah, go back and compare your 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades, your photos from those years. And I bet you one of those four years you might now look back and say, Ugh, what was I? What was I thinking? Wearing that there to that school picture that day? But yeah, I'm sure this has happened across the land with high school yearbooks being edited. But right now in Florida, Northeast Florida, not looking pretty for this high school there in the Sunshine State. Now we have been kind of telling you throughout the last year or two, or you've known through the last year, how the United States military is planning to have a renaming of military bases as there's this naming commission that has been founded. And it's all in an effort to push for the removal of Confederate names from 
Department of Defense properties, including Army, Post, and a lot of these things are going to likely change. A a retired Navy Admiral, Michelle Howard, heads the commission, and she told reporters her group began its work in March with an interim report due to Congress in October and a final report a year later. She said the eight-member naming commission is still developing the renaming criteria, and it will begin in site visits with a trip to the U.S. Military Academy at New York. And in New York at West Point, the academy faces scrutiny because its barracks there, named for Robert E. Lee, commanding general of the Confederate Army in the Confederate States of America, also former superintendent at West Point before the Civil War, and, as we know, to my knowledge, still the only West Point cadet to ever have gone through United States Military Academy without a single demerit. And here they are wanting to rename a barracks name for Robert E. Lee. That's not the only thing. Of course, there's lots of military installations, including many in the South, named for Confederates. Fort Bragg, named for Braxton Bragg. You got Benning in Georgia, named after General Henry L. Benning, who served under Robert E. Lee. And as a Civil War buff, I've never heard of Henry L. Benning. That shows how inconsequential he was in the broad scheme of the Confederacy. But, of course, his name lives on at this gigantic military post, maybe one of the biggest ones in the Army, Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia. And so this commission looking to make changes all over the place. Even the Navy has identified some things for renaming. The U.S. ship, the USNS Murray, or Murray, rather, is an oceanographic survey ship named for Commander Matthew Murray, who resigned from the U.S. Navy to join the Confederate Navy during the Civil War. Uh, didn't know about him. In fact, I think he might be the one that had a statue on the Avenue of Remembrance in Richmond, Virginia, that was taken down, and I learned a lot about him. Truly a fascinating character. Yes, he served for the Confederacy, but if you go look at his entire body of work for his life, it's one of our great naval minds, if you will, and uh Check that out. Matthew Murray, M-A-U-R-Y is the spelling of that last name. But the military is heck-bent on getting these Confederate names changed, and I think it would be a drastic change for a lot of these places. Imagine not having a Fort Bragg or a Fort Benning or some of these other very well-known names for our military institutions. Hey, how about Wake Forest? Students there urging Wake Forest University to drop a name on one of the buildings there on the Winston-Salem campus, Wake Forest announced plans to rename the building formerly known as Wingate Hall, and it's going to be called May 7th, 1860 Hall. Hey, why don't you come meet me for a study group at May 7th, 1860 Hall? That's what they're proposing here. And that date refers to the date when the college at that time located in Wake Forest, the actual town, which was just outside of Raleigh, it refers to the date when Wake Forest sold 16 enslaved men, women, and children at auction. The college created its first endowment with the almost $11,000 in proceeds from that slave auction in 1860. The Winston-Salem Journal reports that more than 1,000 users have signed an online petition that calls for the university to pick a different name. So they've already announced that they want to rename Wingate Hall to May 7th, 1860 Hall, and now there's been a lot of pushback on that as a rising senior there, Chloe Baker, 
said the administration is putting up a constant reminder of racial trauma for black Wake Forest students as if being black at Wake Forest isn't already hard enough. The newspaper said Wake Forest Media Office did not respond to a request for comment on the petition. Something tells me that they're going to try to push to get this building, Wingate Hall, which I still don't know who that's named after. Uh, they're going to probably, this is just me knowing my Wake Forest information, I bet you they're going to try to get it named after one of the former faculty members, Maya Angelou, who worked there at Wake Forest and was known throughout the world for her poetry and writings and more. I bet you that's where they're going to go. But right now, if you want to go have a meeting there on campus, instead of meeting you down at the library, you can meet somebody as of right now at the May 7th, 1860 Hall on the Wake Forest campus. How about an update from Oklahoma, the Tiger King Park? Y'all know about that from the Netflix series. 68 big cats now seized from Tiger King Park after a complaint filed against Jeff Lowe. This is in Thackerville, Oklahoma, the Tiger King Zoo located there. And yet federal officials have now removed the last of the 68 big cats from this private zoo in the Sooner State and, of course, this part of the Tiger King Netflix series. A jaguar was among the last cats removed from Tiger King Park, and that's just a few few miles north of Oklahoma's border with Texas there in Thackerville. And, of course, if you see Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness, you'll see all about zookeeper Jeff Lowe moving the cats to the Thackerville property and such. And, yeah, right now, no cats there at the Tiger King sanctuary if you will the u.s justice department at the end of last week announced the seizure of the federally protected lions tigers lion tiger hybrids and a jaguar as part of a court approved agreement to resolve a federal complaint against lowe and his wife lauren lowe over the animals compare uh, over their care there in oklahoma but right now they're tiger free jaguar free and free of just about every other big cat there at tiger king country when the Y'all Show comes back, we've got to look at more headlines from across the South Island. You don't want to miss that. Plus, we've got a sports update coming from Kiowa Island. All that PGA Championship coverage is coming your way on the show that covers everything Southern. Hey, y'all, we'll be right back, y'all. You don't want to miss out. Stay tuned, and don't forget, you can catch us here at the Y'all Show. Our number is 803-816-1170. That is the number you can call or text 24 7 and we're welcoming all your feedback here. Y'all, we'll be right back. No, I'm no angel. No, I'm no stranger to the streets. I've got my label. So I won't crumble at your
We're back on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent, continuing headlines from across the South. And we're going to keep it in South Carolina for a couple of stories here. And this is no fish tale, I'm going to tell you. How about Nikki Colwell, who is a teacher? And Nikki Colwell, off of Edisto Island in South Carolina, just caught a 173-pound spinner shark. She was out on a fishing trip with her father near Edisto Island when she reeled in this 173-pound spinner shark. And guess what? It is now confirmed as a new state of South Carolina record. It beat out the previous record by two pounds. Nikki, way to go. What a fishing machine there. This teacher reeling in this massive shark right there off of Edisto Island in South Carolina. I've got to find out where she teaches because I'd like for her to teach me a lesson, not not on geometry or any of the other things teachers teach these days. I want her to teach me where, where she caught that darn shark. Yeah, she spoke with the Greenville News saying that she didn't jump, but she did a lot of head shaking, and when we got to the boat, she went berserk. Yeah. Impressive catch. The South Carolina Department of Natural Resources officially confirmed that the shark is the largest of its kind caught in South Carolina's history. Again, a 173-pound spinner shark caught by a teacher who must be from the South Carolina upstate. I don't have the name of her school. You know what? I bet they're keeping that private because they don't want every other fisherman and fisherwoman of the world showing up at their school here as they're closing out the year, probably taking exams and more, and saying, Mrs. Colwell, could you please tell me where you, how you caught that darn shark? Please. But I, we're about to hit the summertime, and I want to go out there and go near Edisto Island and Edisto Beach and catch me a big old fish like you just did. And you can see it. The dnr.sc.gov's got a photo of this new South Carolina state record shark right there taken at Edisto Beach in South Carolina. And Nikki Colwell, don't try to talk back to her in the classroom or even out there on the boat because she's got quite the fishing tale to tell to her students and more a great job there coming from south carolina with that record fish caught in april now confirmed this month another south carolina story this comes to us from anderson south carolina a congressman there in south carolina stepping up after flags stolen from restaurants in the anderson area mama pins names of the restaurant they put posts out about stolen flags and now it's gaining traction on social media and congressman jeff duncan who represents the south carolina upstate stepped up in stepped in to help some small business owners after american and south carolina state flags stolen from their property the owners of mama pens which is an anderson south carolina restaurant known for its real southern cooking we like those kind of restaurants don't we they noticed on Sunday of the previous week that their flags were missing from their flagpoles, and someone stole both of flags of the restaurant, and this is a business that had been there for 50 years, and so they were looking for information on who the suspects might be and put out a reward. The owner of the restaurant saying that they were shocked. The congressman finding out about the restaurant's vandalization and decided that he would do something about it Mama Pins posted a photo of a restored American flag with a caption, Thank you, Congressman Jeff Duncan, for replacing our flag. 
The congressman's office did not immediately respond to an inquiry from Fox News, but the congressman did tweet a thank you message to Mama Pins on Saturday saying, Thank you to Mama Pins Restaurant for proudly flying the U.S. flag in honor of our military and first responders. In South Carolina, we always stand with the flag. And Duncan, who represents the 3rd District in South Carolina, been in Congress now 10 years, very glad to help out and get the flag of both the U.S. and the South Carolina flag back up at these restaurants in the Anderson area outside of Greenville, South Carolina. And what kind of low life would go steal flags? I mean, I like flags. I'm not going to go steal anybody's flags, especially if it's the very common, the most common flag out there, the 50-star United States flag. That's something you don't have to steal. There's probably plenty of organizations that would give you a flag if you really were in dire straits and needed a flag. That South Carolina flag now, that, that one's a little bit more of a collector's item just because it's not as numerous, maybe not even in South Carolina quite as numerous as that U.S. flag. And, yeah, so that news coming from South Carolina there. Now let's take you to Florida. A waitress there has hit the jackpot. Oh, what a great thing there for this waitress in the Sunshine State. And I think this happened in the Pensacola area, or, or at least on the panhandle of Florida. A waitress there hitting the jackpot, and she worked, and and she's got a story to tell, and we're very proud of this lady in Florida hitting the jackpot. And she did this because of a customer. A customer comes in and leaves her quite a a big tip, getting a $800 tip from just some random customer at the diner. She ended up splitting the big tip with another waitress. Now that's a pretty cool deal there coming from the Sunshine State, but an $800 tip. Now we've we've reported here on tips much much higher than $800, but what makes this unique in West Florida is this customer at the Southern Pig and Cattle Company went in and, again, left the waitress an $800 tip. Michelle Trablicli told the news outlet that she shared the tip with another waitress, and they were both flooded with emotions. And Michelle said, I was just overwhelmed. I wanted to cry. I was excited. It's been a hard year, and we've all been struggling. It makes us feel good. Yeah, the massive tip goes a long way for restaurant workers who've been really working hard throughout the coronavirus. We may have told you earlier this year, a woman left a $10,000 tip at a sushi joint in the Florida Keys back in March, and we've seen other tips across the country in the thousands of dollars. But what a great thing at the Southern Pig and Cattle Company, and i got to find out where that is. I have got to find out where that is because here at the Y'all Show, we try to educate y'all on places to go and eat and if it's called southern and it's pig and cattle i think it's something right up our alley let's see where it is let's see i got the website i'm pulling it up here hang on southern pig and cattle company we're glad you're here for over 40 years the tomlinson and nolan families have been known for award-winning barbecue their newest restaurant the southern pig and cattle company brings you the comfortable family atmosphere they have state locations in Stewart, that's not West Florida, Stewart, Ocala, and also in, they got a new Ocala location. So I'm not a thousand percent sure that we're at the same place, but we'll go ahead and give this place credit because it looks really good. Southern Pig and Cattle Company.com is the website here, but uh, the 
article I was originally reading did not list the town, but we'll just say that we'll give we'll go ahead and give the Ocala area plenty of credit here for Southern Pig and Cattle Company, if for no other reason, for a great name. For a great name, which, by the way, brings me to a memory from this past weekend. I had the opportunity to go to a neat little place for the first time, and this place had a combination. This is the perfect trifecta of southern restaurants, I think, or or I, I better I better hold off because we got some great southern restaurants. But this restaurant was a little bit unique in that they had ribs, they had pulled pork barbecue, and... They had catfish, and that catfish was mighty good. And then I washed it all down with a German chocolate pie that included ice cream. That was a pretty good Saturday evening meal, don't you think? Well, that's what I got to enjoy. And sadly for me, and embarrassingly for me, I did not leave an $800 tip when I walked out of that restaurant I was not quite as generous as the person in Florida was to this Florida waitress. But I did feel good, and I definitely left her left her a very nice tip. Let's just leave it at that. But, uh, yeah, great food found in the South, and we're here on the Y'all Show to tell you about it here on the show that covers everything Southern. One last news item before we take a break. This comes to us from Georgia. A South Georgia man near Thomasville faces criminal charges after police say he sent a road flare to a through through the drive-through. Okay, he went to a drive-through there in Thomasville, Georgia. Sent a road flare to a drive-through bank teller through a pneumatic tube, the little thing I guess that goes into the bank when you're going through the drive-through. Michael Aaron Bass arrested Wednesday in Thomasville after the flare set off a panic when a bank teller concluded it was a stick of dynamite. Yeah, I could see where that would happen. Yeah, Bass drove up on a motorcycle, cashed a work check, and then sent the flare back to the teller. That, according to the Thomasville Police Sergeant Scott Newberry. He stuck it into the vacuum tube and sent it to the teller, and he drove off, according to Sergeant Newberry. The building was evacuated. Police responded. Newberry said the road flare resembled a destructive device. I would think so. Bass arrested two hours later on his motorcycle. It's unclear if he's represented by a lawyer. He is represented by a complete idiotic decision. You don't send road flares through your bank teller. Note to self. Okay. We've got sports headlines from across the South, and it's a bang, a real bang. And I'll tell you about Lefty and the big day he had at Kiowa Island on Sunday, plus NBA news and more. It's the Y'all Show Monday edition. That right there might be the biggest knucklehead story of the week here. Michael Aaron Bass, don't send road flares through your bank drive through All right? Y'all's coming right back.
Congratulations to the East Carolina Pirates out of the American Conference. They end up being the number one seed in this ACC baseball, AAC baseball championship taking place this week. They're going to play the number eight seed Memphis Tigers on Tuesday in college baseball. East Carolina ranked number 11 in the country. We're going to have a lot of college baseball information coming your way in just a minute, especially about the SEC. We've got the entire bracket of the SEC baseball tournament. But, yeah, we cover all conferences here in the South and the Pirates and the American Conference, well represented by this team, which ended the regular season. ECU 38-13, and 20-8 in AAC play. And, again, being the number one seed in the AAC baseball championships, and they'll have to get going early as they'll have the Memphis Tigers on their schedule on Tuesday. So a first pitch there in that tournament, roughly 1245 Eastern on Tuesday between the Pirates and the Memphis Tigers. But baseball, big time now kicking into gear with college baseball's postseason tournaments. Well, I'll tell you what, it was a blast from the past on Sunday. If you tuned in to CBS, you saw Phil Mickelson, the almost 51-year-old golfer, winning the PGA Championship from Kiowa Island in South Carolina. He just got past Louis Ostazen as well as Brooks Kepka, and Mickelson becomes the oldest winner ever for a major in golf history. He defeated, by a couple of years, the great 1986 win by Jack Nicklaus. Old Tom Foley, I think was his name, from the 1800s. He beat him out, who was only in his 40s when he won a major. Phil Mickelson, the California kid, former Arizona State Sun Devil golfer, captured his sixth major on Sunday at Kiowa Island just outside of Charleston. And a big win, a beautiful day. What an amazing scene there in Charleston County with the Kiowa Island hosting this thing, the second PGA Championship held there on Kiowa Island. It was just awesome. And it made the South look so good. I tell you, it was awesome. And now we've had the Masters in Augusta. This is taking place in the low country there at Kiowa Island. Absolute great golf and a great story. A little scary there as Mickelson was making his way to the 18th green there to win the championship. You talk about a mosh pit. He was lucky to get out of there unscathed. He said it was unnerving. That was the word he used in the post tournament press conference brooks kepka who finished in a tie for second picked up a just over a million dollar check by the way for finishing in second place kepka said that he felt like he might have even been targeted kepka's had some knee injury knee problems here this year he felt like he got dinged up pretty bad and feels like it could have even been perhaps even intentional i don't know if there's any video evidence of what was going on it was Really a bizarre scene, but a great scene at the same time with the amount of people made their way to see these guys finish up the tournament there at Kiwa Island at the Ocean Course. But Phil Mickelson now, the ageless wonder at 50 years old, picking up his sixth major as he closed with a 1-over-73 to win by two shots over Kepka and South African duffer Louis Oosthuizen. Mickelson with a great, great win there. And uh, one that if you happen to see, it was just magical. Now, other golfers are congratulating Woods, or congratulating Mickelson, including Tiger Woods. Tiger sending congratulations to his fellow golfer. And it was brought out many times to Phil Mickelson's, I guess, unfortunate timing. Phil Mickelson arrived on the golf scene in the early 90s, and his 
momentum was the, the the wind was sucked out of the room by the enormous success Tiger Woods had when he got on the scene in the mid nineties. And although Mickelson this now represents his sixth major, a lot of times he was second fiddle to Tiger throughout his career. With Tiger Woods being sidelined perhaps for a long time, maybe even forever with his injury coming back from this awful wreck this year. Now Tiger Woods saying on Twitter to his friend Mickelson, truly inspirational to see Phil Mickelson do it again at 50 years of age. Congrats. That from Tiger. Jack Jack Nicholas, who has known Mickelson a long time. I actually have this. I think I can play if it doesn't have a commercial. Phil, Jack here. Fantastic golf this week at Kiowa. You played great. You didn't make any dumb mistakes, which is you know the whole key to winning a major championship. You played the golf course as dangerous as it is. You played it very, very well. My congratulations. I would to say you. the New England and Patriots. You know, I think that. Okay, don't know why that's playing there in the background, but yeah, as Jack Nicholas pointed out in his tweet, "Hey Phil, fifty years old is older than forty-six. Congratulations, my friend." And Jack Nicholas referring to his nineteen eighty-six win at the Masters when he was a young lad at forty-six, and now Phil winning at fifty, and Phil will be fifty-one. In just a few weeks. So nearly 51-year-old Phil Mickelson getting the victory at the PGA Championship, the 103rd installment of the PGA Championship, and just a awesome scene there. I can't stress that enough. And I know some people are, are maybe criticizing what happened there. The Charleston County Sheriff's Department did not do the best job of crowd control. And to my knowledge, nobody got hurt other than Someone may have sabotaged Brooks Kepka's knee. But let's give credit to the golf fans. I mean, these are fans, and I'm a golf fan. I wasn't there on the course, but we've been caged up for over a year. And this was a tournament that I think they didn't have any restrictions on crowd size, and people were excited. And how awesome was it to see people out supporting something they love, in this case, golf? People were also supporting NASCAR over the weekend. Chase Elliott won the rain-shortened NASCAR Cup Series at the NASCAR debut in Austin, Texas. Did y'all know Austin has a race track now? The Texas Grand Prix victory is where Chase Elliott won after 54 of the expected 68 laps was raced there. It was win number 800 for Chevrolet and number 268 for Hendrick Motorsports. Team owner Rick Hendrick saying, I never thought we'd win this many races. Well, yeah, 268 races, that that ends up being a pretty nice little paycheck there, Rick Hendrick. Yeah, and a good win there for Chase Elliott, the guy from, oh, what is it, to Dawsonville, Georgia is where he's from there, north of Atlanta. Chase Elliott winning the rain-shortened NASCAR Cup Series. Of course, Bill's boy is Chase Elliott. NBA, some surprise scores from the weekend. On Saturday, the Bucks outlasted the Miami Heat in overtime. Close game there. I was with a guy who had, let's just say, some money riding on that, and he said with about 10 minutes left in the game, I really need this game to go into overtime. Well, guess what? You got your wish. It went into overtime. I don't know if the score mattered at that point. 109-107, Milwaukee gets game one over the Heat. Mavericks got a win against the Clippers. A little bit of a surprise there, 113-103. The Brooklyn Nets over the Celtics, 104-93 on Saturday. And then the Trailblazers dispatched the Denver Nuggets, the likely favorite in that one. The Nuggets go down to the Blazers, 123-109. Then Sunday, 
More surprises coming your way. A couple of Southern teams stepping up to the plate. The Atlanta Hawks go on the road to the Garden, or the Madison Square Garden, that is, and say they got the win 107-105 over New York. And then the Memphis Grizzlies heading out to Salt Lake, and they get the 112-109 victory over the Utah Jazz, the number one seed in the West Conference. Also from Sunday, a little bit of a surprise in the desert as the Phoenix Suns with the 99-90 thumping of the Lakers, the Sixers with the 125-118 victory over the Wizards on Sunday. And as far as what's on tap for the NBA on this Monday, the Heat will continue their series with the Bucks with a tip-off set for 6.30 Milwaukee time. And then the Blazers and Nuggets game two in that series taking place tonight. Also in the ACC, the distribution, a record a record $497.2 million during the 2019-2020 financial year. That's an increase going to the schools of a total of $42 million. Increased more than that over the previous year, thanks largely to the new ACC network contract. So postseason bowl revenue for the ACC right at $125 million. Not quite as much as the SEC, but a very good payday for all of the ACC member institutions. Your latest college baseball top 25 now that the regular season has wound down. Not many changes in the top 10. We will tell you that East Carolina, which we just played the fight song a few minutes ago, the ECU Pirates at 11. Mississippi moves up to number 12 this week. Florida is at 13. NC State climbs to 16 in the latest top 25 poll. Southern Miss is sitting pretty at 19. And then the Charlotte 49ers are at 22. is at 23. And then the Monarchs of Old Dominion check in at 24. A newcomer out of the Big Ten, the Maryland Terps, are number 25 in the latest top 25 poll for college baseball the sec tournament begins on tuesday breakfast at hoover if you will 9 30 hoover time on tuesday the kentucky wildcats and the florida gators will be the first game in this single elimination first round gators and cats followed by the alabama crimson tide and the south carolina gamecocks at two eastern one central lsu and georgia will be taking the diamond at 5 30 eastern 4 30 hoover time and then the nightcap is the Mississippi Land Sharks and the Auburn Tigers, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. That's on Tuesday's first round single elimination games. If you survive that, you move on to the second round and double elimination begins. Those teams awaiting teams to be coming to their arrival on Wednesday, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Those are the teams that are the top four seeds. In fact, Arkansas is your number one seed, Tennessee your number two seed in the SEC tournament. The number three seed is Mississippi State. And then Vanderbilt is the number four seed in the SEC baseball tournament, taking place through the 30th at the Hoover Met in Hoover, Alabama. College baseball's postseason is here. Everybody get excited. Also, get excited when we take a quick break here. We'll come back with a quick look at some Southern history. Bonnie and Clyde, their death happened on this day Whoa, back around 100 years ago. We'll let you know about that. And we'll have much more coming to you from the show that covers everything Southern. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, that's right. Stay glued to your chair because we are going to have that Southern History Report. And it's going to be really good. I promise you that right here on Y'all.
a long way to Richmond, rolling north on 95. With a redhead riding shotgun and a pistol by my side. Well, Sunday marked the anniversary of the death of Bonnie Elizabeth Parker and Clyde Chestnut Barrow, better known as Bonnie and Clyde, as they had the shootout with police on May 23, 1934. And that was in Bienville Parish in Louisiana. That is not far from Arcadiana in Louisiana, North Louisiana. What a story there. Been portrayed in multiple movies, including the 1958 Bonnie Parker story. Yeah, that one was among many movies. There's also that great Kevin Costner movie that's come out in the last couple of years that is fantastic if you have a chance to see that one. But, uh, yeah, Bonnie and Clyde shoot out there with police after their major story that was all over the really world at that time in 1934. Getting gunned down there on May 21st of 1934, the four posse members from Texas were in Shreveport when they learned that Barrow and Parker were planning a visit to Bienville Parish that evening with a man named Methvin. The full posse set up an ambush along Louisiana State Highway 154 south of Gibsland. And there you had that famous event there, if you will. Bonnie and Clyde, they met their fate May 23rd, 1934. A birthday here this week. Congratulations and happy birthday to Patrick Henry, the American attorney, planner, politician, and orator best known for his declaration to the Second Virginia Convention of 1775. What was that declaration? Give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry, a founding father, he served as the first and sixth post-colonial governor of Virginia in the 1779 time period up until 1786. Born in Hanover County in Virginia, Again, was the first and sixth governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. How about that? Born in 1736, May 29th. Born in Studley. Died in Brookneal, Virginia in 1799. Almost made it to 1800. I guess that was also the year 1799 that George Washington passed away. Patrick Henry, one of our founding fathers. Give me liberty or give me death. Born this week in 1736. Also this week... South Carolina became the eighth state in the land. And that passed, I think, 23rd, 23rd May, 23 May of 1788. And it was signed into law by Thomas Pinckney. I'll tell you about him in just a second. But, yes, ratification of the Constitution by the state of South Carolina. And it became the eighth state to do that in 1788. Thomas Pinckney, who was president of that, was an early statesman, diplomat, and he served in both the American Revolution and the War of 1812. And he was a member of South Carolina's House of Representatives, representing the 1st District from 1797 to 1801. He was a minister to Great Britain in the early or latter part of the 1790s. Governor of South Carolina in the 1780s. Was born in Charleston, or Charlestown at that time. Born in 1750, died in Charleston in 1828. And again, was a member of the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. Went on to serve in the 
War of 1812 as a major general. Thomas Pinckney, one of our founding fathers, but not a member of the the, the group that signed the Declaration of Independence, by the way. His brother was the Federalist vice presidential nominee in 1800, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney. And then he had a couple of famous, I think, cousins too. Check him out if you get a chance. Thomas Pinckney out of Charleston, South Carolina, one of our early people, uh, not necessarily a founding father, but certainly one of the founding fathers of South Carolina. But he signed that South Carolina ratification of the Constitution in 1788 as president of that Constitutional Convention of the Palmetto State. And that will wrap up our Hour 1 Y'all Show, giving you a taste of what all is going on across the southeast. When we come back after this break, we've got Hour 2 of Talk with a Southern Accent. Don't miss out on the fun. Can you feel it? Another hour of y'all is here on a Monday, getting you all set for the entire week. And can you feel the fact that our Taco Polo storyteller, Jerry Short, is on standby and he's going to be on in the next segment. It's going to be so much fun catching up with him here on y'all. Hey, I'm John Rawl. Good to have you back here. And we're set for this second hour of the y'all show. And we're also set to tell you that you can go to our website. Y'all.com is the South's official homepage with Great information. We just posted up over the weekend our video feature of Tricks of the Trade. That's got John Allen and Jimmy Duke. And if you want to know all about home improvement, you can check that out. In fact, yours truly, John Rawl, General John Rawl CSA, that is Certified Southern American. I make an appearance on this week's Tricks of the Trade. You can go to y'all.com and check that video out. I have a question that I ask, or really more of a comment more than a question, to John Allen, the South's home improvement czar, and he helped me out. And and so I also had to tell him about something he had told me about the other day, that that's why I just need to leave the home improvement stuff to someone like John Allen, because I am not a guy who can fix things easily. And so John gave me the idea of how to fix my shower. I was having some problems with my water temperature, and so I said, all right. I felt emboldened. Mr. Allen had told me what I needed to do. I needed to take those screws off my shower uh, lever there and, and adjust what's called a skull guard. Seemed pretty easy. There were only two screws that had to be unscrewed. I unscrewed them, and guess what? I did not see what was called a skull guard when I tried to do my little handyman repair, and I got very frustrated. So that's all I'm going to tell you. There's more to the story. You'll just have to go to y'all.com and pull up the video of Tricks of the Trade with John Allen from Saturday when we did that. And that's a great interview. Great, I mean, very informative and entertaining is Tricks of the Trade with John and Jimmy. Check that out at y'all.com. Of course, also check it out on its originating station, WTJS-FM 93.1. Right here on the Y'all Show, we broadcast on great stations across the South each and every day with our message about the South and how awesome it is. And we, we, we cover everything, news, sports, politics, storytelling, a little food, a little travel, and a whole lot more. We want you to be part of it. Our number is 803-816-1170. You can call or text that line. We've got operators standing by to take your question or comment. 
Text or welcome again, 803-816-1170. Check us out. Also, again, that website, y'all.com. Let's start out this hour of the Y'all Show telling you a little bit about what's going on around the southeast here. And the big story from the sports world over the weekend was Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship from the South's own ocean course, and that is on Kiowa Island in South Carolina. So congratulations to Lefty there for getting that big victory. We also want to tell you just off the coast of South Carolina, maybe a 1,000 miles off the coast, right now the first name Atlantic storm of 2021 formed Anna, A-N-A, the name of this first storm. Remember, hurricane season doesn't officially begin until June, which, by the way, is only about eight days away. But we already have seen our first storm, Anna, forming near Bermuda. It's not expected to maybe bring a lot of damage to the island of Bermuda, but it will bring lots of rain. But likely this thing's just going to spin off into the area of the coast outside of Bermuda, northeast of Bermuda by a few hundred miles, and not likely to cause any significant damage. That's good news. A scary story coming out of Chester County, South Carolina, as Officials there, the Chester County Sheriff's Department, is closing in. They're getting close. They're on the trail of a multi-state serial killer. Tyler Terry is a 26-year-old black man on the run. If you see him in Chester County, South Carolina, you see a man that looks pretty scary, get the authorities there as officers, dogs, helicopters, drones, and more searching for 26-year-old Terry, a man who's killed four people in two states and has eluded police for almost a week. On Sunday afternoon, the Chester County Sheriff's Office said officers were actively pursuing Mr. Terry in a wooded area near Highway 9 and Richburg Road, but he ran off from there after being spotted and chased by an officer. They're getting close, but they don't have him quite yet. I wonder if he has any bullets in his gun. I wonder if he still has his gun. Perhaps that's why he's being elusive, but this man right now, a multi-state murderer, a killed four people already some people completely innocent i think he may have tried to hijack or kidnap and he killed people in the process of of fleeing from police in tennessee a former nurse in clarksville is now under arrest after being accused of photographing 40 girls in the bathroom there and now leon b hensley is under arrest allegedly taking illicit photos of girls from ages 12 to 17. He worked as a nurse at Northeast High School, Clarksville, Tennessee, and now faces child pornography charges in the volunteer state after police discovered that he had secretly photographed more than 40 female students, according to a criminal complaint. A high school in Florida is now issuing refunds after the yearbook being worked on there at the high school was editing the student photos, more than 80 students, their photos, mostly female, if not all female, edited at the Bartram Trail High School. Parents complaining that it was not fair that the female photos were edited more than the male, complaining about unequal policies applied to female versus male students. But now a refund going out to this school, to the parents and the Florida High School where dozens of female student photos make them appear more modest, according to reports. One student talked about how she was appalled when she found out her photo was censored. The school claimed that it had previously excluded student pictures that it deemed in violation of the Student Code of Contact 
and it relied on digital manipulation, quote, to make sure all students were included in the yearbook. Oh, I'm sure things like this have gone on for quite some time at schools all over the land, but 80 different student photos being edited here, and that does not make them very happy when that happens. (laughs) 68 big old cats have now been seized from the Tiger King Park in Oklahoma, and this happened in Thackerville as a jaguar was among the last cats removed from the Tiger King Park in Thackerville, Oklahoma. That's just north of the Texas border. The beginnings of the zoo were the subject of the final episode of the Netflix true crime series Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. Zookeeper Jeff Lowe moved the cats to a Thackerville property after the August shutdown of the Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park. And now authorities, federal authorities, removing the last of the 68 tigers, jaguars, and other big cats that were portrayed in the Tiger King saga. Story out of Florida, I'll repeat this. A waitress there had someone come and give her an $800 tip from a random order. She ends up splitting the tip with another waitress. Isn't that a wonderful story to tell you here on a Monday to get your week going? Just when you thought people in the nation and the world were were just all bad, here comes this waitress who is kind enough to to split her $800 tip with another woman. And so Michelle... Trabilsi, who works there at the Southern Pig and Cattle Company in Florida, a very, very generous customer, giving her an $800 tip. I wonder what the bill cost was. I mean, if it's pig and cattle, you assume they got the combination of barbecue and maybe a big old fat steak, and they gave them, the waitress there, $800. She told the local TV station, I was just overwhelmed. I wanted to cry. I was excited. You can feel hope and kindness. It really gave the overwhelming feeling that there are people out there that still care. It's been a hard year, and we've all been struggling. It made us feel good. Those are the words of Michelle Trebelsi, the waitress at the Southern Pig and Cattle Company in Florida, after a generous customer gave her an $800 tip, and she went around and gave it to her coworker. Isn't that a good story? I'll repeat this story from Thomasville, Georgia. A Georgia man now faces criminal charges after police say he sent a road flare through the drive through bank teller through that pneumatic tube that we love to put our money in, and that thing goes, and then it comes right back to you. That's a pretty neat invention. I don't know who came up with that one, but that's always been fascinating as a kid and now as an adult to see money go that way i just missed the days of where you could actually look at a person through the window now i know there's a lot of these major banks out here who have the little tv screen pop up if you're lucky and you communicate that way i was at a national or really i'll, I'll just kind of give it away by telling you the name of the bank i was at a regional bank just the other day on friday and they had three or four of those outside drive-through deals that you don't even see a person there's no window looking into the bank and i'm like i'm not putting up with that i'm gonna go in the bank and they they let me in and i was able to go in there put my check in the account and walk out in about two minutes something tells me if i'd been sitting there at that drive-through trying to pull up a person on the screen I would not have been, because I didn't want to just deposit the check. I I wanted them to first send me a deposit slip so I could write my notes on the deposit slip 
then put the check into the pneumatic tube and send it back to them. I guess I'm just being hard. But, yeah, that's that's that. This idiot, Michael Aaron Bass in Thomasville, idiot, because why would you put a road flare into the pneumatic tube and send it over to the bank teller? The people at the bank thought it might be a stick of dynamite, so the police had to come in. And, yeah, this guy now arrested by the Thomasville, Georgia police for making a pretty dumb move, I think. Another story out of Georgia. This one's a little happier. Y'all know about Gerard Butler, the great actor that's been in a bunch of stuff. Well, while filming in Rincon, Georgia, the police department got a big surprise when this Hollywood star popped by for a visit. As the police department of Rincon, Georgia, that is in southeast Georgia, I believe, posted photos on social media of the actor Gerard Butler, and he posed with officers in front of the headquarters in Effingham County, west of Savannah. The agency said in a Facebook post on Tuesday, what a class act. Yeah, Butler filming in southeast Georgia. He's filming a movie called Chase. Gerard Butler, best known for his roles in the adaptation of 300 and the Fallen franchise. And so, yeah, he's right there filming in southeast Georgia, Effingham County, outside of Savannah. And Gerard Butler taking the time to go by and visit the Rincon, Georgia Police Department and taking pictures and being on their social media that's a really cool story to tell you about almost as cool as this story and i have been to rayford's disco club and rayford's disco club i don't know if it's still going or not because i think rayford died the other year paula and rayford's disco club announced that the downtown memphis disco is having a storage hell and it will have a storage sale starting june 4th they're going to be a collection of surplus furniture, home decor, speakers, clothing, and shoes. The sale does not mean Rayford's is planning to shut down. Okay, so it's still going. That's good news. Instead, Rayford's says they are making room for new experiences and have older items to clear out in the process. Again, I, I, I apologize. I think I'm right on this story. So many things have happened to all of us in the last 14 months that if I'm wrong on this, I apologize. But I think... I think that Rayford passed away. I think let me let me let me see if this pops up because I've been to Rayford's. It is a place you go to at like two in the morning if you're just off of Bill Street in Memphis, and it's a fun place. You know what makes it really fun? If you've ever been to Rayford's, they have a. I think they got a piano. Yeah, Hollywood Rayford. Robert Hollywood Rayford did die, according to his family, owner of Rayford's. Hollywood Disco Nightclub. He died of kidney failure, and that was back in 2017. Yeah, so I, I knew it was a couple of years ago, but so many things have happened. We've kind of almost all forget. But he was a very uh, noticeable guy if you had ever been into Rayford's in downtown Memphis to see that uh, nightclub, disco club, if you will. And one of the cool things about Rayford's is they have – do they have a piano? Gosh, I guess I had too many – Budweiser's in me at the time. I think they've got a piano that anybody can just sit down and start playing at their at their club. And if it's not a piano, maybe it's drum. It's drums. That's it. They got they have a set of drums there that people can come sit down and start banging. Just random people out there in the club. It really doesn't make that big of a difference because the music's so loud anyway. That uh, no matter how loud you bang on the drums, likely not going to be heard by too many people at Rayford's. But what is cool is all these people who took drums in high school probably have it played a set of drums 
if they're not a professional musician in 30, 40 years and they sit down there and they just have a great time banging away there at Rayford's in Memphis just off of, I think it's might be off of what's now called B.B. King Avenue in downtown Memphis. But, yeah, they're going to have a, a sale there if you want to go to Paula and Rayford's Disco Club and check out some of the surplus furniture more. Again, the sale there in Memphis does not mean they're shutting down. They're just maybe spi- uh, sprucing the place up getting things ready, maybe ready for me to go make an appearance back at Rayford's Disco Club in Memphis, in downtown Memphis. Woo! I'll see you there about 4 in the morning, y'all. I'll tell you what, we'll see Jerry Short here on the Y'all Show. He is coming up right after the break, and the Takapola Storyteller is going to grace us with his presence. I'm not sure if he's ever been to Rayford's or not. I'll have to ask him about Memphis nightclubs. When we come back, I'm sure he's been to a few in his time. But we're going to talk to the Takapola story teller Jerry Short. That is up next on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Yeah, beat the drum on this here, y'all. on y'all talking about everything southern and it's now time to go to Takapola for our storyteller from that wonderful spot of dixie jerry short is the Takapola storyteller he comes on here each week and gives us a feel of yesteryear and what's going on now and maybe even a little prognostication into the future jerry welcome back into y'all hope your weekend was good oh man i tell you what pretty good weather getting a little warm summertime looks like it's right around the corner or here now it is looking like that and jerry i had a chance the pleasure if you will to talk to you sunday and speaking of warm weather you were out doing your moonlighting job that's right and that is your as we announced a few weeks ago working for a national chain that delivers food to people's doorstep and it's pushing 95 degrees i think on sunday afternoon and you don't have air conditioning in your car working right now. What's up with that? Oh, man. You know how timing is. Timing's everything. And uh, a doggone, uh, the compressor didn't go out. But, you know, when you don't do maintenance sometimes, I use a, a little Toyota uh, uh, car because it's quick and in, in and out of traffic. So I, uh, <clears throat> I hadn't checked the fan uh, filters and. On, on the air filters and the air conditioning goes to the air conditioning. Pulled it out. It, the air conditioner quit working. And I pulled it out and it had enough leaves in it. It looked like it come off the biggest oak tree in Tacopo. And uh, couldn't get any air through it. And I think I worked it a little bit too hard. And uh, now I'm going to, I don't need a compressor. It'll blow occasionally, but I'm going to have to have uh, a fan or something. You know, it's, it's a Toyota, and 
don't go to a dealership. I've got a shade tree guy that uh, I think can knock it out. But but it is hot if you do not have air conditioner. If you're uh, not used to that anymore. I mean, once upon a time, it was a you'd have laughed at somebody having air conditioner. But uh, your arm would have been hanging out the window and everything would have been lovely. But however, now, uh, you're kind of spoiled. I think we've all got spoiled as a society, too. Do you remember the first car you had with air conditioning? First car with air conditioner wasn't mine. It was uh, my mother's parents. And uh, they had one, the kind that you mount under the, it didn't come from the factory that way. I think it was a 57 Ford. And they mounted it under the dash because we went to Oklahoma and, and um, that air conditioner was pretty good. And that, but we, the first car I ever bought, let's see, I bought two convertibles to start with. And so uh, uh, the one I got from Elvis, the second, the 63 uh, Impala convertible, it had air conditioning. And then the next car I got had air conditioner. So <clears throat> I guess I've had air conditioner and everything since then, since 63, uh, car, which I bought in 65. So I guess 1965, I had the first air conditioner. We didn't have one in any of my daddy's pickups or, uh, you know, I take it. <clears throat> we had a 58, uh, 58 Ford he bought new that might have had an air conditioner in it. I think it did. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we didn't spoil ourselves. I'd, I'd rather ride with my arm hanging out to winter because I always in a pickup or something like that, which I preferred being in. So they didn't have air conditioners, those early 50 pickups and all, and late 50 pickups. So anyway, we're spoiled, and uh, there's nothing we can do about it now. And might have a little something to do with getting a little bit older also, you think? It could be. Now, we just got a text in on our text line, 803-816-1170. And the listener says, what kind of Elvis car is this guy talking about? Oh, the way I got Elvis's car, Elvis gave it to George Klein. The El- Elvis Presley? Presley, who is a distant fifth cousin of mine, but he's... Ernie and I talked to Elvis's daddy about it, but he wanted to say they were uh, they they were uh, Cherokee Indians when uh, Elvis's mother was a Chickasaw and, and my grandmother was a Chickasaw. So I, that's where we came in together because we both from the Tupelo Pontotoc area when Taco Polo. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, he's, Elvis's daddy would say I was trying to get. Uh, get some of that uh, inheritance if it ever was any. But anyway, um, I bought that car. I had wrecked a car in Louisiana. I had wrecked a, uh, well, I let a girl drive it and she tore it up. I had a 58 Impala convertible. I was all crazy convertible when I was 18, 19, 20. And um, so uh, she wrecked it and I came to Memphis. Well, hold on a second. A girl wrecks your car. Did you even know her that well? What did you do about it? Well, uh, <clears throat> I was, uh, that summer I was pipelining and, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> kind of dated this girl and, <clears throat> you know, you know how that is. And when you're pipelining and doing stuff, I was down around Thibodeau, Louisiana and, and, uh, 
I got ready to move on. We finished a little line we had there in that area, and we was going to move on across uh, Chaffly River Base, you know, across over Morgan City. And I let her drive that car. I didn't know she couldn't drive. And we, I went to pick up my letter jacket in the class ring, and I'd been letting her wear to a school. She was a high school girl. I don't think you can do that now. But well, one a year difference in us, but she wanted to she wanted to drive, and I let her drive. <clears throat> we had the top down, and we're coming by down a sugarcane road from Lake Verrett was the name of the lake. It backs up from Pierre Park, Louisiana, and uh, uh, we were going down the road, and she just kind of lost it, and foot slammed down on the accelerator. And uh, ran off the road, and we're knocking sugarcane down and going through the sugarcane. Feel like we were cutting sugarcane, and it was coming over. And I was trying to—I was, of course, obviously on the pasture side, and I was trying to reach over to pull our foot off the accelerator and get control of the steering wheel. <clears throat> but we were in a ditch, and we had a cover that was probably a drain that went under the road where you could get on the field. And it, we hit it head on and total that vehicle. So uh, after she went to the hospital and was sewed up and I went through all that, I went, I came back to Memphis and my mother knew a, a, a real good salesman out at uh, Union Chevrolet and Dick Halstead, never forget the guy. <clears throat> my mother bought a car too from him. And so uh, he said, I got just what you need. We're cleaning it up now. And I, he said, I got Elvis's car in the back. I sold it to Elvis. And Elvis gave it to George Klein. It had never been out of Memphis. And this was in 65, and it was a 63, and George drove it one year. So, anyway, he did, he was a disc jockey on WSPQ. Uh, and George Klein? Up with George Klein was. He grew up with Elvis. So, uh, Dick Halstead, the salesman, said um, – I'll, I'll prove it. Let's go back here and watch it cleaning. I said, <clears throat> oh, that's not Elvis Presley's car. <clears throat> he said, yes, it is. And he, he said, let's go back here and look at it. <clears throat> and he did have Elvis uh, literature in under the seat, George Klein stuff since he was his buddy and a disc jockey. So we called down at WHBQ and I talked to George Klein on the phone and during one of his breaks, kind of like you would be doing at your radio station. And he said, yeah, Elvis surprised me with that. Got it behind Grayson, and Elvis drove it around front in the front yard. And uh, he said, uh, I thought it was Elvis's car. It was brand new then, you know, and it was white with black leather interior and sharp and uh, uh, four-speed in the floor. And uh, some George Klein didn't need driving around Memphis, I don't think. But uh, anyway... We uh, we called down there, and he said, yeah, Elvis gave me that, and he's given me another car, so we traded it, you know, traded it in. And uh, <clears throat> so it was, get this price now. It was $2,000, and I scraped together 1500 But I had a relative that had come up uh, with my mother. They met me on the train when I came up from Louisiana to get a car. And my insurance had paid some on that other car. So he had to loan me a little money to get the 2000 together. But uh, I bought that car. And then when uh, I went back to South Louisiana, 
I had more girlfriends than Elvis had him uh, girl happy. <laughs> I got I got to know since we started out this subject talking about air conditioning in cars. Did this car, the '63 car you had there, did it have air conditioning? You know, I don't remember having <laughs> air conditioning. That's probably why Klein got rid of it. It's probably why Elvis got rid of it. But because I kept the top down all the time, you know. And then South Louisiana Christmas, we'd ride around with the top down. And I had it that Christmas, and uh, but girls would flock him in, and I thought, I thought I must have had a facelift or something, and uh, but I come to find out, I think it was a car, but it was a good looking car, and uh, I saw George later after I traded it, I bought a, uh, a S, the first Super Sport three ninety six that came out, and uh, that was a sixty six model, and. Uh, I saw George in the mall, and I stopped and talked to him about it. And he said, you still got that car? I mean, this could have been uh, 20 years later, you know. And I think Elvis is already deceased. And he said, uh, do you know what that car's worth if you still got this car? And, like, George needed the money, but he was still thinking uh, what the car, value of the car would have been. And uh, I said, no, I had to trade it. I, the tires, you could see air through the tires. I drove it. I I wasn't a rich kid. I was working and and doing other things, you know. So uh, that's kind of the story on that and the air conditioner. You didn't need in it. I remember I came home one time in the winter, and uh, I know we didn't have a tin except for natural. We played freeze out, and we'd roll the we left the top down and drive as far as we could to somebody to holler calf rope. And uh, so uh, it had air then. It was a real cold night. But, uh, no, I don't, uh, air conditioner, it was a thing, kind of like I said, I'll never forget that little one that my grandparents had put on that 57 Ford after they'd upgraded from a Studebaker, hmm. which they don't make anymore, which was a kind of a, I wish I had one of them. I think they had a 55 Studebaker and, uh, had a pickup and matched it and had those sun visors on it. And you couldn't tell if it was uh, a Jetson car going uh, north or going south. They looked the same because they both had visors on, uh, built onto the car. But anyway, uh, they didn't have air conditioner, I know. Yeah. So we went to Oklahoma in those. Jerry, I'm going to ask a serious question about your offspring, if you will. Right. I know that I would not be here today, and there's probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Southerners who would say the exact same statement. I would not be sitting here today being who I am, John Rawl, if it weren't for the car that my father drove that got my mother's attention. <laughs> That's probably true. And my mother never would have paid my dad any attention had he not been driving some kind of I should I should know the make and model. I don't know. But he yeah. had just got a new car himself. And that's what led my mother to pay him a little bit more attention. So can you truthfully say that the woman who had become the mother of your children probably would have ignored you had you not had that car? Well, i tell you how it first got when I first went down there. Uh, I was staying in a boarding house with the landlady lived next door, and she really liked me. She called me her adopted son. And she tried to fix me up with every high-dollar girl in, in that community. And uh, I would take them to – back then, high school girls down in Louisiana, they would party and dance at uh, clubs and uh, things like that. So I would take them a lot, and I wasn't a big dancer. And I would leave them and go ride around. But 
coming back, um, I mean, they would come by and look at that car. And, you know, they'd always want to drive it or want to look at it or something like that. So, yeah, I can probably say that. And I know we come out of the club and I picked them all up one night. And I would take them home. Uh, like I'd have four or five girls in that convertible. And I would take them home in the place that we'd go with. One place was south in Thibodeau. One place was north in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. And uh, I would take them home in uh, a different order. Uh, usually the same order. But the girl that I ended up marrying, because of the, I know it was a car, probably that got her attention. <laughs> so she would ride by my uh, apartment, you know, my my boarding house. And they all would. They'd come around that loop when they were riding around in that small town. And they'd come by there, and it, and it was because that car was sitting out in front, because they didn't do it when uh, I had the other car. <laughs> and the other car was pretty cool, but it wasn't anything like that. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I took her home last that night. And uh, she asked me, why'd you take me home last at, tonight? And I said, oh, I thought you'd just probably like a, a little longer ride in this convertible. Don't you like it? And she said, oh, we have all fell in love with it. We come by and just look at it. So, uh, yeah, I know when I got first got back down there, those girls ganged around that car, and they said, uh, golly, why don't you buy a brand new one, man? Is this unbelievable? And I said, yeah, and it's Elvis Presley had it. So he bought it originally. So, uh, you know, it uh, it definitely caused me the uh, my children, which is a good thing, and I was married to that lady for 20 years. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was on the Internet with her twin brothers last night. It was their birthday. <laughs> and uh, which uh, uh, was really, you know, it uh, it was really a good thing. And that's, as you said, as your statement was, your daddy uh, attracted your mother with a car. And uh, that worked. Because a lot of guys didn't have cars in those days. You know, it wasn't like you go to college now and they buy you a Porsche to go to college. Back then, you went and had a, you were lucky if you had a really good bicycle to get around. And so, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think cars carried their weight more than people ever would want to admit. And a lot of guys probably think, oh, I got charm and I got all this and I got all that. But it finally hit me that, uh, hey, hey, uh, Jerry, you're not attracting these girls with your charm and, <laughs> and your taco polar class. It's, that's not that's not what's working. It's just automobile mm. situation. So I kept good cars from then on, you know, until I got a little, well, not as old as I am now, but until I got older because, uh, it does catch the attention of people, a nice car. And convertibles seem to have kind of faded away. And, you know, it's not like they used to be. But back in those days, you know, a lot of people, a convertible would catch your eye in a second, you know. You know, like a vet or a T-Bird, those early vets and those T-Birds. I always wanted those, but they cost a little more than two thousand dollars, even, <laughs> even if they and, were used. And Jerry, for those of us who are just tuning in or paying attention to what you were saying, tell us again the make and model of that car that you had that you had bought that originally was bought by Elvis. It was a '63 Impala Super Sport, and uh, it what uh, color? It was white with black leather interior, hmm. and uh, it had a uh, 
I'll never forget the, the, of course, it was in the floor shift, but that's what I liked. I, I didn't want automatic. It wasn't automatic. And uh, it had a uh, solid uh, silver knob to shift with, shift knob. And uh, that really set it off, I thought, because I, I really liked that. But uh, anyway, I don't think George climbed because it didn't have but 10,000 or less miles on it when I bought it, and it added a year longer and he told me it never been out of memphis it might not have about eight thousand miles on it and uh but uh yeah that was a that was a heck of a good car i just uh got down and uh and uh then the army starts calling and this starts doing this and people you get where you don't have as much money as you did to keep them up and i was having trouble tires wouldn't last in those days i don't know if people remembered or not but car tires, if you got 30,000 miles off of a set of tires, you're pretty doggone lucky. And uh, I need I needed tires on it when I traded it in. Like I said earlier, you could see air coming to the rubber on the outside of the tire because they were so thin. They were Maypops, if you know what a Maypop is. No. Maypop, oh, well, a lot of Maypops. It's a plant that's uh, growing. It's like a green round ball. And uh, if you step on it, it'll kind of pop like <laughs> like a pop gun. Mm-hmm. And so we call them Maypops. And, and then so we call the tires when they got uh, down like that in the good old days. You know, what you got? Man, you're running around those Maypop tires on. You know, they're going to blow out. In other words, you're going to have a blowout. Ah. <clears throat> so we're, anyway. We're talking yeah. to our Takapolo storyteller, Jerry Short. This is the Y'all Show, Cars and More is the subject. When we come back, we're going to switch back to talking about his modern car, not that 63 Impala, but we're going to talk about his modern car and what he's doing there with that National Food Service Delivery Place. And is this kind of stuff good for the environment? I'll ask our Takapolo story because <laughs> there's a lot of waste involved with these delivery companies and these takeout orders and more, and I'm going to talk to him about all that. And we're going to do that as this second hour of the Y'all Show with our Takapolo Storyteller continues. Back here on y'all talking with our Takapola storyteller Jerry Short. Jerry Short, when he's not driving that '63 Impala convertible, white with the black seats. You might find him in today's world driving a Toyota. That's okay. Slight change there, Jerry, in your car choices between '63 and today. That's true. That's true. It's kind of like uh, Chevrolet kind of went down in the mm, '80s. So we went to we went to the uh, Japanese brand. <laughs> I don't think Elvis would be driving a Japanese car. I don't think. However, let me talk. I don't know. He's pretty popular in the dog. Uh, 
Asia. Okay. You think? Okay. Oh, I know. Oh, I, mean, I know. He's popular, I think, just about everywhere. Hey, Jerry, you are, as we mentioned earlier, and we've talked before, delivering as a second job, moonlight job, if you will, for one of these national chains. And one of these chains where you go on a phone app and you sign up and they come knocking on your door and people like Jerry bring you your food. And right. when you're doing this now, since we live in this Green New Deal world, there's a lot of paper products and plastic products you're taking out of the restaurant for every single order. Am I right on that? Uh, that's pretty much uh, true. Yes, it is. And uh, they're all a lot of them are fast chain, but some of them might be a Mexican restaurant, some may be a, a steak restaurant, or you know, people order different things. But uh, I'm doing it in a college town, and uh, so I get a lot of uh, students who. Uh, uh, live in these apartments that um, sometimes are hard to find. But uh, anyway, they uh, they 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 order your traditional uh, might even be McDonald's. It might be this. It might be that. And they, you know these places won't let you go inside now, but they'll sure send it out because they're they're hooked in with these companies also. Mm-hmm. And you know you got to have an app for each one. And so the customer. The uh, consumer, of course, being the customer and the delivery person and the uh, business itself. So it all goes together and all three can keep track of that particular order as it uh, makes its round to and fro. Well, I bring this up because I I was uh, driving over the weekend and I just, I know we've always had a problem with litter on the highway, but my goodness, if people are depending on these national chains now for every meal they eat that's all more garbage that's ultimately going to fill up our landfills and things like that not that you wouldn't have garbage if you sat down in a restaurant but when people use actually plates and silverware to eat their meals at a restaurant versus getting it to go that makes a difference yeah i I guess you're right of course uh i have to be a little bit partial to paper uh products since uh i bought land and timber and uh and the world's largest paper company for 20 years and uh and probably we couldn't have made it and i couldn't have made it if we hadn't have produced uh paper products however and they're convenient and uh you know it got its ups and downs but uh by taking them and delivering them like the chain that you're speaking of that we do now by taking them and delivering them they usually what you do, you put them at the uh, apartment or the house or whatever. Sometimes sometime the customer will meet you, but usually you put it at the door and you take a photo of it and you send the photo back on the app and prove that you've made the delivery and then you leave. But then it goes inside and then hopefully it goes into a garbage and then it'll go into a garbage disposal. Hmm. But like you said, and you were getting at, that uh, even with all that said and done, we're accumulating more and more of that type of waste product. And, you know, just one example that comes to mind, <clears throat> I was talking to, I, I got a lot of little side hobbies that I do, and I was filming a wedding down at Orange Beach and, uh, for a guy. And, uh, and he had a brother-in-law that worked for waste management products and our products, uh, waste management delivery, uh, picking up, uh, throw away garbage and whatnot, you know, and 
he told me that the highest elevation point in the state of Florida was one of their waste management uh, facilities that was 600 and something feet tall. Gosh. How they put dirt back on top. I think it was up in the panhandle somewhere, but it was still the uh, the tallest uh, elevation. You know, Mississippi didn't have that tall. I think 806 feet, Warthaw Mountain in Tishomingo County mm-hmm. is the tallest part in Mississippi. But if you uh, say Florida's tallest point is a waste management uh, dump, now that's that's really saying that we're using a lot of that uh, product that you were discussing. Well, one reason I brought it up, we just talked here the other day about a shortage of toilet paper and other paper products and here because right. of people now – using these things exclusively in some cases to eat all your meals. That's just every single meal is a lot of stuff. Not that we're against chopping trees down for this kind of stuff, but we don't we don't want to run out of toilet paper because everybody's using paper for their meals. That's true. I mean, in it, you know, my wife just almost refuses. and um, Refuses what? Paper product. Oh. Everything, you know, and I'll grab a paper plate because I don't want to I don't want to wash the plates and do all that. And but she's gonna have a, a some of this real china that we have <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And she's gonna have real glasses and real real plates and real cups and and everything with her is real. But when I when I come around and grab something up and she's not there and my just business, I'm pulling a paper plate out. And uh, I usually uh, use it. Of course, it goes straight to the garbage, and then it gets picked up, and then it goes to the local dump. And uh, they charge you so much to uh, use the dump, too. Of course, we get charged for uh, garbage pickup around yeah. town. But uh, you know, it's um, it's a it's kind of a give and take thing, I think, John. With uh, and you discussed. Uh, seeing stuff litter on the highways and uh i tell you you wouldn't believe and it's been this way for years and years like if i have a flat in 1970 and walk down the side of the road and have to walk to a place you don't see 90 percent of the stuff when you're riding down the highway that's on the in the grass and on the edge of the road yeah i mean it is actually some of it will be it'll be under the grass maybe Cigarette butts used to be unbelievable. I mean, there's so many cigarette butts that people threw out the windows and probably still do because they keep the window down when they're smoking now. But uh, all that stuff is out there on the ground. You're right. And that's the reason you'll see uh, occasionally some of these counties around uh, in any state will let their uh, uh, lock-up prisoners go out and uh, pick up trash. Uh, and they'll usually have a van following them, and they'll have a guard watching them, and they'll be wearing stripes. But uh, kind of like the good old chain gang days back used to be. But uh, it's not that bad. But to, I think you get some time off or something like that, or at least you get out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. But they're picking trash up on the road and picking a lot of trash up on the road. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, my wife's from another country, so – if I would throw something out the uh, window, uh, which I'm not going to do, but I think she would probably, uh, she'd probably divorce me <laughs> because they're really serious about it. And, uh, 
in in where she's from. Well, I like to tell people who who litter are all you litter bugs out there. You're nothing but lazy. There is absolutely no reason to litter in today's no. world. You're, you've got trash cans at every gas station. They're all over the place in cities. There's just zero excuse to litter. And not that I'm trying to turn into the Green New Deal here on the Y'all Show, but we love our Southland. We want to keep it that way. We want it to be pristine, and it's not pristine when you have all this garbage floating around. Jerry Short, well, you're you're not garbage. we got to get out of here for this hour. We appreciate you coming on and telling us about that Corvette, or not Corvette, Cor. Cor- I wish Corvette, right? What would you say? I, Impala? Uh, it was Impala Supersport. All right, sorry. 63. 63. I knew that Why? one. I got all Black that down there. Here. Yeah. Here you go. Okay, sorry hey, about that. I wasn't it's around all- back then. I apologize. Jerry well, Short. You dang should have been. It was good <laughs> <day>. <laughs> I, I wish I would have been around. In fact, if you would let me go get one of those Impalas today, I might have better luck with the opposite sex. Jerry Short, thank you very much. All we'll right. look forward to talking to you work. later. All right, man. Have a good day. All right. Have a good week. We'll wrap up the Y'all Show after this break with our Southern Accent on Food. Southern Accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Grit and grind is the mantra of the city of Memphis, Tennessee. But grits on their own are the signature of one new Memphis restaurant that opened up at the beginning of this year. Sugar Grits is an eatery that features grits in all of its meals, all the time, whether it be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. The visionaries behind the new restaurant are Stephanie and Tony Westmoreland. Stephanie based the menu off dishes she was raised on in North Carolina. Many of the dishes are things you might not see in Memphis, she told the commercial appeal. Regarding the gritty options offered on the menu, they range from sweet to savory, added Stephanie. Sugar Grits gets their signature grits from the original Grit Girl down in Oxford, Mississippi. If you're in the downtown Memphis area and are looking for some authentic southern cuisine, go down to 150 Peabody Place, Suite 111 for some sweet grits. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe Bennett, thank you. Man, grits, what a way to wrap up hour number two talking about grits in Memphis. And, uh, yeah, I've had those grits he's talking about there out of the lady in Oxford. And it's mighty darn good. Hey, what's also mighty darn good is a whole nother hour of y'all talk with a southern accent. We got that coming your way after the break here on y'all with your host, the general of all things southern, John Rawl. We got our three fingers up in the air. We've reached the third hour of this Monday Y'all Show with John Rawl. Good to have you back in here as we wind things down on this first day of the work week as we're pushing forward in the month of May. One week from today, Memorial Day 2021. Y'all got your plans made for Memorial Day weekend. A lot of the kiddies will be out of school. Some are already out of school. Some will be Leaving Thursday or Friday this week, maybe the early part of next week will be when kids are officially done. And then if you're the unfortunate class of student, you will be going to school even in the month of June. We hope that's not the case, but hey, that's what's happened with a lot of the school districts around the Southland adjusting their schedules since the coronavirus shut them down for part of the year we're not going to shut y'all down we're the y'all show we talk about the south we talk news and politics and food 
and a little fashion from time to time and of course lots of sports talk and a lot of fun and we're just happy that you have taken time out of your day to join us and if you miss a portion of y'all and also if you want to share it with anybody if you like what you're hearing we appreciate the likes we appreciate the follows and if you want to join in on the podcast edition of y'all it's easy to do. All you have to do is go to y'all.com, and we have the Y'all Show listed right there. Big old red and white block that says Y'all Show. You click on that, and you can find all of our podcasts, our audio podcasts you can listen to right there, as well as many of the interviews we do here at Y'all are taped for television. So you can watch many of the interviews that we do here at Y'all at y'all.com. Also, you can find us in the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Y'all Show. We're also in the TuneIn app and Apple Podcasts. So on the go we are. We are Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Here in this final hour of the Y'all Show, we'll get to some sports information in a moment. Big big feedback coming in from Phil Mickelson, your PGA Championship winner, his second PGA Championship. He captured that on Sunday at Kiowa Island, and he becomes the oldest person to ever win a golf major. Fantastic weekend of golf in charleston county south carolina i'll tell you about that and i'll tell you what phil mickelson said in the post tournament press conference about aging and some of his tips it might be the best tip i've ever heard from a 50 year old champion of the pga tour i'll share my thoughts on that in a moment as we look at southern sports also this hour the grossest states in america is your state the grossest state in the land I'll tell you about a new article that's come out that ranks the grossest states, not in terms of the size, like being big gross. I'm talking yucky gross. We'll have that this hour. We'll also look at a few of the headlines going on across the Southland on this Monday. That and a preview of what's coming up on the Y'all Show for the remainder of the week, all right here on Talk with a Southern Accent. And I can't wait to tell you about a special guest we've got coming on that's one of the big-time barbecue people of the Southeast. We'll have them on later this week, and I'll give you an idea who that is when we reach the end of this first hour. But right now, looking at sports news from across the Southeast, the NBA had its first round of the playoffs underway over the weekend. On Saturday, some big games going on, some really nail-biting games. The Bucks outlast the Miami Heat in overtime 109-107. And so that series continuing on. That second game of that series will be on this Monday. The Mavericks and the Clippers had a game out in Tinseltown. And the Mavs come away with the 113-103 win. And we had a 31-point triple-double by the Mavericks star there. Also, the Nets over the Celtics, 104-93. The Trailblazers topped the Nuggets on Saturday, 123-109. Then we went to Sunday, and you had two Southern teams do quite well Sunday in upsets as the Atlanta Hawks defeated the New York Knickerbockers, 107-105 from Madison Square Garden. And then you had the Memphis Grizzlies going all the way out to Salt Lake, and they get the win over the Utah Jazz, 112-109, and take a 1-0 series lead And that one, the Phoenix Suns embarrassed the L.A. Lakers on national television, 99-90. to And then the 76ers with the 125-118 win in their game one of the first round East Conference. DeVille there in the 76ers home court. 
And so what's on tap here on this Monday in the NBA? The Heat and Bucks continue their series game two from Milwaukee's Pfizer Forum. That will be a tip-off of 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 from TNT, the network covering that. And then you have from Ball Arena in Denver, the Nuggets hosting the Trailblazers in game two, Portland leading that series one nothing. So that's the NBA action on this Monday. The ACC is distributing a record $497 million to their member institutions, and that's an increase of $42 million. This is as a result of their financial year 2019-2020, a record amount coming from the Atlantic Coast Conference. The revenue increased more than $42 million over the previous year, thanks largely to its increased television and postseason bowl revenues. TV revenue going from $288 million the previous year to $332 million as the ACC Network launched in August 2019. Then you have bowl revenue for the ACC totaling almost $125 million. Clemson made the college football playoff. Virginia played Florida in the Capital One Orange Bowl. The league distributed an average of nearly $33 million per school among its 14 full-time members. But a big payday for the ACC schools getting that amount of money for the 2019-2020 school year. To golf, and on Sunday, Phil Mickelson became the oldest major champion in the history of golf at age 50 years and 11 months. He became the oldest winner in the 161 years of major championship golf, and he got this at Kiowa Island in South Carolina as Phil Mickelson closed out with a 1-over-73 to win by two shots over Brooks Kepka and Louis Oosthuizen, as Kepka and Oosthuizen end up in a tie for second. Mickelson in the post-game or post-tournament press conference saying that one of the moments I'll cherish my entire life, I don't know how to describe the feeling of excitement and fulfillment and accomplishment to do something of this magnitude, but very few people thought I could, and not many people thought he could. I think the odds makers had... Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship at like 300 to 1, if I remember correctly. Tiger Woods with a tweet about Phil Mickelson's win, saying, Truly inspirational to see Phil Mickelson do it again at 50 years of age. Congrats. Jack Nicholas also with very, very good comments coming in for his fellow golfer, Phil Mickelson. Now, Mickelson's win, as I said, he was 50 years, 11 months, and seven days to be exact. He's now the oldest major golf winner in history. And the previous oldest person to ever have won a major was the 1968 PGA Championship winner, Julius Boros, who won it at 48 years of age. Tom Morris Sr., y'all remember the 1867 British Open? Well, Tom Morris Sr., old Tom Morris, he won that at only 46 years old. Just a a whippersnapper compared to Phil Mickelson at 50 years, 11 months, and 7 days. And then a tournament we all, if you were around golf and you remember this day, in 1986 at Augusta National, Jack Nicklaus, the Golden Bear, he won the Augusta National, the Masters that year, at 46 years, 2 months, and 23 days. So well over 4 years older, Phil Mickelson finds himself versus Jack Nicklaus in this PGA Championship win from the weekend. And I remember 86 well. I was watching it on that beautiful Sunday day from Augusta National. I was tuned in watching on CBS. And I think I'd already had the Golden Bear golf shirt, but after Jack Nicklaus won that thing, I had to go out to the local Kmart, I guess, 
whoever carried the golden bear line of golf shirts and i had to wear that to school i was proud of jack nicholas even though i really didn't care for him too much prior to that but it was just great to see that guy with the and a, and a cool logo the golden bear logo for golf by the way if you don't know what i'm talking about check it out it's a pretty cool line of apparel that's still out there by the way but yeah on sunday phil mickelson with his nice navy blue hat kpmg and his nice navy blue shirt gets the golf shirt gets the win at an in an unbelievable setting there just south of charleston at kiowa island the waves were coming in beautiful and to america's credit versus when we see the british open and other things over there in great britain our coastline we don't have all that many golf courses right up on the atlantic ocean not even that many that i know of on the gulf coast of florida that are truly right there at the beach boy it looked beautiful it looked unbelievable the waves you could see the waves and there was at least two times during this pga championship that balls carried over to the actual beach area and so golfers had to dodge the sand crabs and the loggerhead turtles or whatever else is out there when they were making their next shot and you could hear the ocean the waves the crashing of the waves on some of those holes that the golfers were playing on and it just made for a spectacular couple of days of golf on display from right here in the south and specifically to kiowa island and the ocean course there at kiowa just outside of charleston south carolina congratulations to phil mickelson although he's not a southern boy he is beloved by lots of southerners and he got the big win brooks kepka the former florida state golfer as i said did finish second in this so we want to congratulate him on the big win and there's another golfer that, frankly, I had to do a double check when I saw the final results coming in Sunday. And this guy, frankly, as a guy that myself follows golf to some degree, this guy's score that he posted was a bit of a surprise to me. I was not all that familiar with the name. And it turns out the golfer I'm about to tell you was a college teammate in Texas of jordan spieth and this guy just has not had the kind of success that spieth's had but at least on this sunday and in this round at the pga championship at kiowa island he he definitely outshone his old college teammate jordan spieth i'm talking about harry higgs are y'all familiar with harry higgs he finished in the tie for fourth as he was the third american in the top five of this pga championship Phil Mickelson, the American at number one, and then Kepka from Florida was in a tie for second. So that meant that Harry Higgs, an American, ends up being in a tie for fourth alongside Englishman Paul Casey and Irishman Padraig Harrington and Shane Lowry. Harry Higgs, with his best finish that I'm aware of on the entire PGA Tour history that he's been on the tour, he picks up a $462,000 payday as a result of finishing in a tie for fourth. By the way, Kepka, although finishing second, just gets over a million dollars for second place. He and Louis Oosthuizen both with a $1.056 million second place finish. Mickelson, by winning, his winning was $2.1 million. Somehow, someway, I was not paying attention growing up to just how much money you can make as a PGA golfer. And if I had it to do over again, I think I would have invested in some lessons 
and perhaps giving these guys a run for the money. That's what we all hope and wish, right, that we could be wonderful golfers, even if it weren't PGA style, just out there doing well enough to beat your buddies on the golf course and and being the champion of your local course, for example. Harry Higgs, let me tell you about this 29-year-old golfer who, again, was a college teammate of Jordan Spieth. I've seen him on the course uh, on the TV a little bit, but not much. One reason he stands out is Harry looks like he's had some fun in his life. He's got a little bit of what we call in the South uh, a beer gut. As he lives in Dallas, he played at SMU. Did I say he was Jordan Spieth? I may be wrong with that. He was with someone. Oh, it wasn't Jordan Spieth. He was a college teammate of Bryson DeChambeau. My apologies, Jordan. Jordan, a Longhorn. Bryson DeChambeau was an SMU Mustang. And that's right. These guys were teammates at SMU together, not at UT, the one in Austin. But Harry Higgs, who was born in New Jersey, but went to college at SMU, been on the tour for a few years now, and now getting a great finish, although he's never had any kind of placing in a major event before, he ends up in a tie for fourth. And I think that will give him the ability to come back in 2021, or 2022 rather, and be in the PGA Championship again as a top five finisher. Maybe he'll even have enough FedEx points he'll get a chance to play and more. But yeah, Harry Higgs is kind of a miniature version of John Daly, if you will. And and congratulations, a very good finish for him. Double H, Harry Higgs, a golfer with a Texas connection in the PGA Championship. little baseball talk to get through the latest top 25 D1 baseball poll for college baseball. Arkansas is number one. Texas is at two. Vandy, the Commodores, coming in at three. How about the Tennessee Vols? They check in at number four this week. The Red Raiders of Texas Tech are at five. Then other Southern teams in the top 25 as the regular season has come to an end for college baseball. The Mississippi State Bulldogs are at eight. East Carolina is at 11. Mississippi is at 12. The Florida Gators are 13. TCU has dropped down to number 15 in the latest poll. NC State's inching their way up. The Wolfpack and Elliott Avent are now number 16 in the latest D1 baseball poll. Louisiana Tech slipped down to number 18. Southern Miss out of Conference USA. They're number 19 in the latest poll. The Charlotte 49ers checking in at 22. Florida State and Coach Martin are number 23. Old Dominion is 24. And the Maryland Terps are number 25 in the latest D1 baseball, college baseball poll. And the college baseball fun in the SEC gets underway big time on Tuesday as it's the 2021 SEC Baseball Tournament from Hoover Metropolitan Stadium in Hoover, Alabama. You have a first-round single elimination setup of four games on Tuesday. So wake up early and see the Kentucky Wildcats take on the Florida Gators. Winner advances. The loser likely to go home and get ready for the NCAA Tournament. Likely to be on the road for them, not necessarily getting a chance to host. The Alabama Crimson Tide, they're going to play the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's set for a 1 o'clock Hoover time start on Tuesday. The LSU Tigers and Georgia Bulldogs have a late afternoon game, 4.30, Eastern, 4.30 Central time between the Tigers and the Georgia Bulldogs. And then the nightcap on Tuesday in the single elimination setup, the Auburn Tigers and the Mississippi Landsharks have a single elimination game at 9 Eastern, 8 Central from the Hoover Met. And then 
on Wednesday, it's the second round, and then it becomes double elimination going forward. And so your top four seeds, which don't have to play Tuesday, are going to sit by and wait for Wednesday to come. Your number one seed in the SEC baseball tournament, the Arkansas Razorbacks, they don't play until Wednesday at 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central against an opponent to be determined. And that's also the case for your number two seed, the Tennessee Vols. Tennessee with a two Eastern, one Central start on Wednesday against a team to be determined. Also, Mississippi State comes in at number three in the seeding, and they've got the early start on Wednesday. They'll be pitching and playing at 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 Hoover time. And then Vanderbilt's your number four SEC tournament seed. The Commodores don't play until Wednesday night for their first game in the SEC championship. And the actual championship game will be Sunday afternoon. ESPN2 is going to broadcast this from Hoover. It will start at 3 Eastern, 2 o'clock Hoover time, your SEC baseball tournament championship from Hoover, Alabama. We wish all the teams in the SEC the best as they get on down to Hoover. Two teams did not even make it to Hoover because they did not finish in the top 12. Those two teams, the newcomers to the SEC, Missouri and the Texas A&M Aggies, their season essentially is done. In fact, news out of College Station, Texas A&M has fired the head coach there, Rob Childress, A&M Athletic Director Ross Bjork decided not to renew Rob Childress's contract, and that's no surprise as Texas A&M finished the regular season at 29-27, a dismal 9-21 record in SEC play, failing to reach the SEC tournament for the first time in the career of Rob Childress. The Aggies were riding a 13-year NCAA tournament streak entering this campaign, and now it looks like they're not going to be making it to the postseason, and as a result, Ross Bjork, who's been on the job at College Station for about two years now, firing head coach Rob Childress of the A&M baseball program. A big news story from Sunday in the Southeastern Conference. But you've got all your respective ACC, SEC, Big 12, and Southern Conference OVC tournaments being held at locations, usually at independent sites here this week. And I know the SEC, of course, in Hoover, ACC, Durham, the Southern Conference is in Greenville, South Carolina. The OVC will be at the ballpark at Jackson in Jackson, Tennessee, and other tournaments taking place, the American Conference USA. More. If you're a big fan of baseball, if you're a big fan of college baseball, please do yourself a favor and check out where you can find out where some of these games are taking place in these tournaments here as we get ready to ship these baseball teams beyond the tournament into the big tournament the NCAA tournament where it gets to be real fun as teams try to punch their ticket to Omaha. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to punch our ticket about talking about which states are the grossest states in America. Is your state one of them? I'll tell you. Also, later this hour, I'll look at more headlines and what's coming up on y'all.com this week. This is the show that is all about the South. Sun. 
Lord, round here, come on, he comes just a creepin'. Here's a North Carolina boy, Eric Church, for you on this Monday, y'all. Show is the Tar Heel State a gross state? Is your state a gross state? I'm John Rawl. This is y'all. And right now, we're going to switch over and talk about a story that's just come out about the grossest states in America. And unfortunately, some of these are in our part of the world, and I'm going to have to have the responsibility to tell you if your state is one of the grossest states in the country. A study conducted by Zipia calculated each state's grossness, and that's based on air quality, the number of landfills, and illness spread. Now, this study also included the number of Google searches for certain gross items when determining the rankings. Zipia cites, quote, mayo recipes and, quote, crock-wearing, C-R-O-C, crock-wearing, as search terms included in the gross category. I don't know exactly why, but, again, this is coming to us from Zipia. If you want to check it out, you're welcome to do that. So here is the results. Do I have the envelope, please, of the grossest states, according to this website, in the country? The number one grossest state in the country It's from right here in the South. Virginia, you are number one, the grossest state in the country. How is that possible, Virginia? How did you get to be numero uno for the grossest state in the country? But you are. Somehow you have ended up on Zipia.com's grossest state in the country. Zipia.com, the website, the career expert, they bill themselves. Yes, as they've gone and done all this heavy, intense research around the country. The number two grossest state in America. South Carolina is the second grossest state in the country. And North Carolina's over here laughing. Eric Church is laughing at South Carolina. I mean, North Carolina is sandwiched right between number one, Virginia, and number two, South Carolina. Well, North Carolina, laugh no more. You are the third grossest state in the country, according to Zipia and their research of the grossest states in the country. I'm going to say part of the reason these three states might be the grossest is because they get all the Yankee filth coming down from the northeast. All the landfill stuff. I'm just I'm going ahead and defending these states. I'm going to blame the North for the reason these three southern states on that eastern seaboard are one, two, and three: Virginia, South Carolina, then North Carolina. Your grossest states in the country. Now, luckily, here's a Yankee state coming in to help out. Number four grossest state in the country is the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. 
number four. Number five grossest state in the land is the Lone Star State of Texas. Now, y'all know that can't be true. That just can't be true that Texas would be number five grossest state in the country, but that's what this survey says. Number six is New Jersey. I can see that. Number seven, Connecticut. Number eight, Georgia as the eighth grossest state in the country. Number nine is Joe Biden's Delaware. Number 10 is the Empire State of New York. Now, again, this article from Zipia.com and this survey done, how did they determine who is the grossest of states? They said they started with the undisputed metrics of grocery, dirty air, trash, or the percentage of each state that is landfill. And then also one of the other factors is spread of illness like the flu. To measure the dirtiness of the air, they referred to air filters delivered through ranking on air quality. For the trash rating, they used the EPA's data on the percentage of each state's land that is taken up by landfills. I'm going to click on this and see if this tells me anything that y'all need to know about landfills. I'm not easily seeing that uh, come up here, so we'll just skip over that. So those are your grossest states in the South. Now, if those are the grossest, then which states are the cleanest states in the land? Which states would you want to be living in that are not the grossest? Perhaps no surprise, the not grossest state in the country is Alaska. Our our great state there, Alaska, 50. Montana, 49. Nebraska, 47. The cleanest or non-grossest of the southern states is the state of of Missouri. Show me Missouri is your 35th most grossest state. So this is where you don't want to be number one. You want to be more like 50. Missouri comes in at 35. The natural state of Arkansas is at 33. Florida is at 29 in this Zipia.com survey. You have Mississippi, a little bit of a surprise there. Mississippi is at 27 in this Ranking 25 goes to Alabama. Maryland is at 22. Kentucky is number 19 grossest state in the country. The Mountain State of West Virginia is 16, and that's a tie with Louisiana, by the way. I would thought Louisiana might be way up there because of all the oil refineries and things like that along the Mississippi River. But now, according to this Zipia.com survey, the Pelican State checking in at number 16, You've got Tennessee coming in at 11 as the 11th grossest state in the country. Now, y'all know that can't be true. And then you got your top 10 that includes states like New York, Delaware, Georgia, Connecticut, New Jersey, Texas, Pennsylvania, both Carolinas and Virginia is your grossest state in the country. All this, again, coming from Zipia.com, where they went out and surveyed based on a calculation of each state's grossness, based on air quality, the number of landfills, and illness spread. If you don't like where your state came in, don't take it up with the Y'all Show. Take it up with Zipia.com and how they have come up with this. You can go in maybe and do a little bit more. The career expert is what they build themselves as. And, uh, yeah, Kathy Morris with this article out on the grossest states. Certainly worth a conversation maybe down at the local watering hole, you'll have to have quite a bit in you to, to maybe not get too upset if one of your states is listed here as one of the grossest states in the country. We'll come back after this break here on the Y'all Show and tell you about what's going on across the Southland on this Monday, some news and notes, all that on Y'all Plus before the hour's up. 
a look at what's on y'all the rest of this week. The Y'all Show's got plenty of good interviews and more. You don't want to miss it here on the show that is everything Southern. fellow there singing pretty high don't you think hey this is y'all show we're high on the south and we're going to take a quick look at some news goings on on this monday with you as we're wrapping things up here in this final hour of the show the first hurricane or tropical storm rather of the season has been named anna 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 however you want to say it national hurricane center in miami says Subtropical storm Anna is drifting northeast over the Atlantic Ocean after bringing rain to Bermuda. The good news is Anna is not expected to cause any major problems anywhere, especially here in the southeast of the United States. But it did bring, as we said, some rain to the island of Bermuda. And also Bermuda had maximum sustained winds of 40 miles per hour. This is the first named Atlantic storm of 2021 and the official storm season for atlantic storms does not even begin until the month of june so we're more than a week away a tropical storm watch for bermuda was discontinued over the weekend so they're not worried about it anymore but yeah last year we had i think 30 named storms in the atlantic and now we're already seeing one out here and this one is a false start if you will thankfully to West Virginia, West Virginia had the largest population drop in the country from the years 2010 to 2020, and that according to the latest census daddy. The, the Mountain State lost a higher percentage of its population than any other state in the country, according to the 2020 census. The lack of economic opportunity and low pay for two factors in the state's population decline. The poverty rate in West Virginia is 16%, and that's higher than the national average from the years 2010 to 2020, West Virginia lost a higher percentage of its population, as I said, than any other American state, that according to the new data out from the U.S. Census Bureau. In 2010, the population of West Virginia was 1.85 million. In 2020, when the latest census was taken, that number had dropped down to 1.7 million people. Population loss of 3.2%, or roughly 59,000 people, either leaving or dying in the state of West Virginia over that 10-year period. The national poverty rate, by the way, is 10.5%, according to Census Bureau info. West Virginia's poverty rate, 16%. Now, we want the best for all of our states. In West Virginia right now, it ain't looking all that good. I guess they'll lose a congressional representative from the mountain state with that kind of change in numbers 
But as West Virginians, the population there of the Mountain State goes away, then other states in the South benefit from population trends and such. So that is what's up there in the Mountain State of West Virginia. What's up is the population is down. What's up is down. That's not good news. The U.S. military is likely going to remove the names of forts and installations and even a ship that has Confederate connections. Right now, there is a naming commission that has been formed, and Michelle Howard is a retired Navy admiral heading up this commission. And at the end of last week, she told reporters her group began its work back in March with an interim report due to Congress in October, final report a year later. This eight-member group is developing the renaming criteria, and they'll start having site visits, including trips to West Point in West Point, New York, an academy, United States military, military Academy there, of course, the home of great figures like Robert E. Lee. And they have a barracks name for General Lee there at West Point, where he was once a superintendent and, of course, was a cadet there way back in the 1830s, I think. But the commission is required by Congress to consider renaming, quote, anything that commemorates the Confederate States of America or any person that served voluntarily with the Confederate States of America. This applies only to Defense Department properties, not state-owned military facilities. You know, these things were named. I'm going to have to get on my soapbox here. Every one of these military installations in the South were named after Confederate figures mostly in the 20th century, but some at the end of the 19th century. And part of the reason the United States government named these installations after people like Braxton Bragg, you got Fort Bragg, and after a fairly fairly unknown general in the Confederacy, Henry Benning in Georgia, Fort Benning named after him, they named these places as a reconciliation to help people in the South who were still cleaning up decades after the Civil War and had their loved ones die for a cause that ended up being a losing cause, they did this to bring the country together. And this was when you still had plenty, plenty of veterans of that armed conflict alive. So how in the world could people who fought against each other be willing to reconcile and get along and do things like this, naming military installations after Confederate figures and 160 years after the war, now it's like these are the worst people ever. we got to rename all this stuff named after, in a lot of cases, people who aren't even that familiar. For example, Commander Matthew Murray was a Confederate naval guy, and he resigned from the U.S. Navy to join the Confederacy. I mean, how many people know anything about the Confederate Navy? What did the Confederate Navy even do? I know a little bit about what they did. They actually did a pretty good job considering what they had to work with. But here they are looking to rename, for example, the USNS Murray, an oceanographic survey ship named for this former Confederate officer who had a long career in the U.S. Navy prior to going and fighting with the Confederacy. And here's this commission out making all these changes and now having the congressional mandate to to make some of these changes. I, I just I don't like it. I don't like it at all because – it, as I said, it was good enough 100-plus years ago to be a tool to bring the regions of the country together. Why do we need to change this stuff now? I saw one case of, I think it was Fort Bragg, where one person is suggesting that they rename Fort Bragg after 
Braxton Bragg's cousin, who was a union officer with the last name of Bragg, I think from Wisconsin. That could happen. That could happen. But definitely more coming from that. Now, in South Carolina, hey, how about this teacher? A woman there who's a teacher caught the now state record shark. 173-pound shark caught by teacher Nikki Colwell. And she caught this on a fishing trip back in April, but it's now just been confirmed to be the largest shark of this type caught. The 173-pound spinner shark caught by Nikki Colwell is your new South Carolina state record shark. And uh, I'd hate to go up against her either out on the ocean catching shark or anything she does because she's looks like she's got one heck of a fish tail to tell and then lastly as we wrap up our headlines here once again i'll tell you the story of a man in georgia michael aaron bass arrested last week in thomasville after a flare set off a panic when a bank teller concluded that it was a stick of dynamite that's right michael aaron bass decided to send a road flare through the pneumatic tube at his local bank and whenever the bank tellers got this in their little tube, instead of pulling out a wad of cash, they pulled out a road flare. They thought it might be a stick of dynamite. I don't blame them. They were pretty freaked out about it. Now this guy's in a lot of trouble in Thomasville, Georgia. The building ended up being evacuated, police responding, and he was arrested two hours later on his motorcycle. Hmm. Bad news there in Thomasville for Michael Aaron Bass. We will wrap up the show after this break. A quick look at what's at y'all, the y'all show here this week. We've got some great interviews, including murder author Jim Leach will be on Wednesday's y'all show. All that is ahead. here final segment on this monday y'all show thank you again for being a part of the fun podcast available for this if you missed any second of the show y'all.com is where you can go to for that plus apple podcasts iHeartRadio, and tune in radio apps all have the y'all show podcast and not only listen to it for your own self satisfaction but to share with others we, we got to build this thing up we got to let everybody in the entire region know that we're doing a three-hour daily show that's all about y'all. It really is all about y'all, and we need your help here to spread the word. Let me spread the word about what's on the y'all show the rest of this week. On Tuesday, we'll be joined by our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans will be right here, and we're going to have so much fun talking to him about grilling outside this time of year. We're ready to get out there and dust off that grill if you haven't done it already. Matt Hermans will be on Tuesday's Y'all Show to help you cross the finish line and get everything going right there 
with your grill and get ready for Memorial Day weekend. It is one week away from Memorial Day, and you got a big weekend planned here with the holiday weekend this weekend. So check that out. Also on Tuesday's Y'all Show, we will have a Southern accent on the arts. On our Wednesday Y'all Show, Jonathan Lifehite will be dropping by with an ACC report. That'll be so much fun to find out what the ACC is doing as they have their conference baseball tournament going on this week in Durham. You have also Wednesday our Southern Book Spotlight this week. Jim Leach is going to be here. He's the author of Murders, a Tough Business. Jim Leach is a retired Tennessee Bureau of Investigation investigator, and this former TBI agent will be on talking about his book that covers 22 different murders, Murders, a Tough Business. What a heck of a read. We'll talk about it on Wednesday's Y'all Show with Jim Leach. On Thursday's Y'all Show, our SEC report direct from Hoover as we'll have an update on the SEC baseball tournament. All that on the Thursday Y'all Show and just so much more throughout the rest of the week. Friday, our buddy Craig Faulkner will be back here with his fishing forecast for the holiday weekend. Oh, it's going to be a dandy. All right here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Also this week, we're going to be squeezing in at least one of these two interviews, so get ready for this one. We're going to have Moe's Original Barbecue. Are y'all familiar with that great chain based out of Birmingham, Alabama. Well, one of the executives of that is Hunter Whitfield. He is Moe's Original Barbecue Franchise Operations Manager, and he'll be on this week to tell us about what they've got going on at Moe's and a great new opportunity for all of you wanting to go to their several dozen locations across the southeast. So that will be coming on this week of the Y'all Show, so stay tuned for that. And he had to go to the hospital Friday. I'm not so sure he can join us, but we're working on this. An interview with attorney, and you see him on TV all the time, Alan Dershowitz. He's supposed to be on the Y'all Show, but we're still working out how to pull that off as he's having some health problems right now. But hopefully we'll get Alan Dershowitz on the Y'all Show this week, too. All that right here on the show that covers everything Southern. Thank you for being a part of the fun. We'll see you back here Tuesday. Tuesday.